right. Well, next week, we, um, Ian is going to kick off a new series um, called God Questions, and we're going to be looking at some of the challenging things that we see in the scriptures. We're going to be exploring some of the questions that we have about God, some of the things where maybe we don't, we don't see how all the pieces fit together. And, and I, I really want to encourage you to, to, to be a part of that. It's, it's going to be helpful and practical, and you're going to discover wonderful things about God. Today, I want to finish where we began last week, and uh, we're going to look at a message called Shape for God's Purpose, focused on the verses that Andrew just read for us. Now, if you were here last week, you, you know that I handed out puzzle pieces. And so everybody that was here got a piece of a puzzle. Some of them, you still have that. I'm not going to pass them out again um, today because you probably have one. But I just want you to think about the uniqueness of a puzzle piece, how every piece of a puzzle is distinct. It has a unique shape. It has a unique coloring. It has a unique purpose about where it fits within the design for which it has been made. And it finds its meaning not by itself, not as an individual, but in fulfilling its purpose to be part of something so much greater. That's a great illustration about us. The world around us, the culture would, if it, if, if it was communicating to us as puzzle pieces, it would say, you be the most successful, the most beautiful, the most shapely puzzle piece you can be because that's where you'll find significance. If you can be better than another puzzle I can't even say it. If you can be better than another puzzle piece, you win. But it doesn't work because we always are left insecure, wondering whether or not we really matter, whether there's significance and purpose to our life. But God has designed us for something so much greater. So let me quickly just review the three truths I challenged us to live last week out of Isaiah chapter 43. The first one is this, to remember that God is calling you. He tells us in Isaiah 43, 1, he says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God is passionate about you and me. He has a desire for our life, and he is calling us right now to be a part of his plan and his purpose and to receive his redemption, his provision of salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, I told you this truth that I, I want you to hold on to about this calling. Wherever you are, whatever your condition, however broken or messed up you are, God will meet you where you are right here, right now. We don't have to clean up our lives and try to be more impressive we don't have to begin to look religious. He will meet you right where you are right now. That's the only way we can even come to him is saying, Lord, I have nothing to offer. I just need you. But there's an equal truth that goes with that. God will not leave you where you are. He will transform you. He will change you when you come to him because his design is to make you and I more and more like Jesus Christ. Now that can be uncomfortable because there's things about our life that we don't like to give up. But when we truly understand that the God who loves us enough to die for us, that when he asks us to be changed, to be transformed, to obey him, it is for our good and not for our difficulty. We can trust him. 
So God will meet us where we are, but he won't leave us there. And isn't that ultimately incredibly good news? I don't want to stay where I was. I don't even want to stay where I am right now. I want to become more and more like Christ. I want to know him more. I want to know God more. I am so thankful he doesn't let go of us. Well, the the second truth is that you are God's masterpiece. He has designed you and designed me as his workmanship, Ephesians tells us. He says, we are his artistic design created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so he has a purpose and a plan for us that goes far beyond who we are. Well, those are, those are a couple of the truths that we looked at last week. And now I want us to, to pick up on this truth, and that is that you and I were made to belong. We're part of something much bigger. We have a God-sized purpose, and we're made to belong. Now, deep inside of each and every one of us, there is a desire to belong. We want to fit in. I mean, think about the most awkward phase of your life, wherever it was. Maybe um, for me, it was junior high or middle school. Um, high school wasn't a whole lot better. But how many, how many of you, when you were in middle school or high school, felt like you fit in? Excellent. I thought I was in the majority here. Nobody seems to fit in. I mean, even the kids who are, who are cool, you know, and popular, they don't feel like they fit in. See, I don't fit in. I can't even use a microphone. Anyway, thank you, Alex. Sorry, this one's not quite working. So we all have this desire and longing to belong. And God made us to belong. But we have to come to him to find that belonging, to find out how we fit, who we are, to understand the identity that he has given to us. So this passage of scripture um, that we just read in, in Romans chapter 12 is about how we are to belong. It's about how we're to fit together as the body and bride of Christ in God's design. He says in verse 5, So we, though we are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now what that means, if I use my little illustration of a a puzzle piece, is we're made to fit in and we're made to be connected to each other. That's where we find more of life because as we're connected to another person who belongs to Christ, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, our life becomes richer and more fulfilled. And we're able to be stronger together as well. This is why God calls us to come together as his church. And and every believer is a member of his church. Now, we may go to to different um, local congregations. Here in in Prague, we have wonderful sister churches, churches in, in all different languages and styles. And we're members of one another. We belong to each other. And we cooperate and work together. But we need to be connected. And and I think it is incredibly helpful for us to be connected within a local church where you get to know other people, where you can have authentic relationships, to be connected to a small group, to a fellowship, to opportunities to serve. That's why we have the ministry fair today, to help you and I get better connected. We were designed to be God's masterpiece 
but it's only displayed as our lives are connected together. And understand that it is the strategy of the enemy to keep us as individuals. Because you and I are far more vulnerable spiritually, emotionally, relationally on our own. We will then often be overwhelmed with feelings of insecurity, of inadequacy, feeling like we really don't matter. But God says to you and I, you belong. He has called you by name. You are mine. That's what he tells us. And each one of us has a unique purpose, a unique design, a unique shape to their life in your heart, the passions of who you are, in the deposit of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts, which we see represented here in this passage. We're not going to unpack that today, but he's invested his spiritual gifts inside of every believer. He's given you a heart and a passion. There are things that you are passionate about that relate to the kingdom of God, to his work in this world to justice, to the gospel, to so many different things that he has placed a passion, a burning inside of you that is for a purpose. And it's different from that of others. But each one is vital. Now, if you think about this in terms of of a puzzle, which piece or pieces are the most important part of a puzzle? Does anybody know? Yeah. That's what we all think when we're making a puzzle, right? Is we think that the edges are the most important part. Why? Because that's where we can find the place to start, right? When you're working a puzzle. But I want you to look. Here I have a a very typical edge piece. And I want you to notice something about this edge piece. Is it beautiful? Well, it's not bad. It's blue. Happens to be my favorite color. So that counts for something. Um, But, you know, it doesn't have a whole lot of design or beauty to it. In the same way, we often look at the church and we think that the leadership of the church, the pastor, the elders, the deacons, um, the teachers, the Sunday school leaders, that they're more important than the other pieces. They're there to help the framework hold together. Just like the edges of a piece, they're there to provide the structure. But the most beautiful part of the puzzle isn't on the edge. It's in the center. It's where you belong. When you, as a, as a piece of the puzzle, fit into God's plan and, and purpose, the beauty of his work comes out in incredible ways. Every piece is vital. And so I would tell you that the most important piece of a puzzle is the piece that is missing, the piece that is not in place yet, the piece that has not discovered its purpose and place in the kingdom of God. That's the most important one because the beauty that God wants to reveal through us is not being seen to its fullest. That's the message here that we have in this passage. You and I were made for unique purposes. One of the things that I think in the scripture that uh, that affirms this so beautifully is that the first time we see the filling of the Holy Spirit, it is not in a preacher, a prophet, or a king. The very first time that we see God filling someone in the scripture with the Holy Spirit, it is with a man who worked with his hands, a craftsman. 
Exodus chapter 31, verses 2 through 5 says, See, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and have filled him with the Spirit of God, with abilities and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work every craft. First time we see the Holy Spirit, it's a craftsman. Now, that should tell us a couple things. Number one, to do your work not only in the church, but your work in the world, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and so do I. And that each person has a unique role, a unique purpose to be fulfilled when it's empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life. He wants to use you in incredible, amazing ways. Well, let's look at this passage and and begin to to understand what it tells us about belonging. So let me me begin to to pick up at verse 4, and then we're going to back up to the beginning of it. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. This means that we're to share in union and in fellowship, in community with one another. God made us for community. Now, that word community is a, is a great word. We like to hold on to it and talk about it. But here's the challenge. We have a tendency to have our own idea of what community looks like. And we will have a tendency to go from place to place to place looking for that vision of community. But that can be a dangerous thing to do. You see, community is not necessarily a vision we grab a hold of. It is actually a life that we live, a connectedness that we are to be fit together into. The great theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer was incredibly convicted about the importance of Christian community, so much so that he... Um, lived together and brought several others together, uh, and they lived together in community um, over a period of time, and he wrote a beautiful, powerful little book called Life Together. He makes these statements in Life Together that tells us about our need. Number one, he says this, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. That's why we need each other. But also we need to understand that our vision, our idea of community may or may not be an accurate picture of what God wants to do in us and through us. In a little bit, I'm going to read another, another uh, verse or excerpt from Life Together that will point to that. But let's back up here and see what God says because in this idea of belonging, being the body, he gives us some clear instruction that begins back in verse 1 of chapter 12. In truth, it actually begins in chapter 11, um, but we're going to pick it up at verse 1 of chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable worship. Do not be conformed to this world, 
to the mindset that we see that is communicated by the culture, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, God gives us some instructions about belonging here. Now, it starts off with a picture of a living sacrifice. And I don't know about you, but the idea of being a sacrifice really doesn't sound that appealing. <laughs> you know, it's just the whole idea of being slaughtered and put in fire just really doesn't sound that exciting. But in the scripture, when we look in the Old Testament, there are various different kinds of sacrifices. There are sacrifices for sin in which an animal is given as a substitute, substitute atonement, it's, it's called, that represents that someone has to die, something has to die, shed its blood in order to cover over our sin. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. He died on the cross to, to be our substitute, to pay the price we cannot pay for our sin. But there are other types of sacrifices. And the sacrifice that is listed here, the picture behind it is called a fellowship offering. In a fellowship offering, it was an offering that you would bring out of your own desire, out of love for the Lord, and you would bring that offering and you would give it to God, but it was for the benefit and blessing of others. A fellowship offering was the beginning of what we see today as a church fellowship or potluck, except for it would be an individual who would bring enough in that sacrifice that the whole community could share and they would have a meal together. It was a sacrifice given to God for the blessing of others. That's the picture behind this living sacrifice is that your life and my life, that if we're to belong to God, we give it to him to bless others. That's his whole design for us. And so if we want to belong, the first thing that we really need to do, the first hurdle that we have to cross is we have to put ourselves back in God's hands and say, Lord, you've designed me. You've made me as a unique individual. You thought so much of me that the, the God who created the majesty of the Alps and paints the beauty of a sunset and is brought forth the miracles of the galaxy. You saw this world and said, I want one of those. I want him. I want her. I'm going to create that individual. And not only did you think in that incredible, amazing way, because the scripture says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, formed in our mother's womb, designed by our creator. Not only did he love us that much, but he went so much farther that he was willing to die for us, to have us back. What he says is now, if I love you that much, would you trust me enough to put the life I gave you back in my hands as a living sacrifice? Too often, if we are totally honest, we want Jesus as Savior and self as Lord. And it will not work. Jesus Christ is the only Lord. He is the only one worthy. And he's the only one who can run your life. Even if you take, a, take away the fact that he deserves it because he is God, he's the only one capable of running your life and my life in a way that will work. 
But when we look at ourselves, if we're honest, so often this is where we break down. Is Lord, I want you as Savior. I want you to bless me with the powers and goodness of the gifts that you have, but I just assume keep self on the throne of my life. And God says, give it back to me. Trust me with all that you are and all that you will ever be, and you will discover immeasurable joy. That's what he asks us to do. We're to remember who he is. That's why back in, in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, we're actually given the foundation of this passage. It says, for from him, this is speaking of Jesus, and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. And then because of that, because God already owns all of it, we're simply to give it back to him, to give ourselves back to the one who rightfully owns us. And that's the second point, is first we put ourselves back in God's hands, and the second part of belonging is remembering that all things belong to God in the first place. This is how our mind, our thinking is renewed. That's why he says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Our minds are renewed by the knowledge of who God is and what he rightfully deserves that everything is for him and for his purpose, for his glory. When our minds are transformed by that truth and we give our lives back into his control, he is able to fit our lives together with him and with one another in beautiful ways to fulfill the purpose for which he created us. There's a powerful prayer of David in, in 1 Chronicles that was such a good reminder to me this week. He says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and from your own have we given you. We're simply giving back to God what he rightly deserves. When we understand who he is, we're able to see more clearly how we belong. Now, the third portion of belonging is, it begins with being a living sacrifice. Then we renew our minds by a right understanding of who God is. And then third, Paul gives us some really practical instruction that I don't like. I just, I'm just gonna be really honest with you. Um, because what he says is stop thinking about yourself. Look at, look what it says in verse three. For by thy grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure or standard of faith that God has assigned you. Now, what percentage of your thoughts are about you? 20%? Yeah, 
Thank you. 60, 70, 85. Yeah, that's where I am, Leslie. I'm at 99.955. Um, that's, that's what it is. And it's really frustrating. And, and as I was thinking about this, it was, it was annoying because he's telling us this right instruction, the thing that we know to do, and, and yet he's saying, don't do that. Now, there's two ways to, to think about ourselves too much. We can think ourselves too important. We can be prideful and arrogant, or we can think ourselves as not worthy, which is still thinking about ourselves, right? You know, it, it is. The folk, it's actually two sides of the exact same coin, and he says, don't do that. Well, as we were working on this, Becky and I were talking, and I, and I was reminded of, of great instruction that I received from a television program when I was a youth. Um, that was, it was called The Bob Newhart Show, and I'm going to torture you with a, with a little clip of it, because in this show, um, Bob plays the part of a psychologist who had a very, very unique style for dealing with people's problems. In the little clip, he's dealing with a woman who um, has an overwhelming fear of being buried alive in a box. Um, understandable, that doesn't sound like a good thing. Um, but, you know, he asks her, you know, well, has anyone ever tried to bury you alive in a box? And she says no, and says, okay, well, I have the answer for you. So let's play the, let's play the clip. I hope it will be helpful. I'll say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. So I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most We find most people can, uh, can remember them. Okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, here, here they are. Stop it! I'm sorry? Stop it! Stop it? Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So I should just stop it. There you go. But I, I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me. No, 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 no. No, we, we don't go there. But I've been having this dream. No, we don't go there either. But my horoscope did say... We definitely don't go there. Just, just stop it. That's usually what I need to hear from the Lord when it comes to thinking about myself. Drew, just stop it. Stop it. The problem is, that's really hard to do. Because even as she said, I'm compelled to think about me. Well, God in his wisdom and grace shows us how to stop it. And so I took the little acronym STOP, and I'm going to share you from, from these verses how you stop thinking about yourself so that you're able to belong as God designed for you and I to belong. Well, let's look at these next, next verses, verses 6 through 13. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. 
Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. What he does here is he gives us actions that enable us to take our minds off of ourselves and engage them into the work of God in and through his people, the church. He gives us action steps to take that will transform us. And he begins with, with S. I made this little acronym, S-T-O-P, serve like Jesus. He gives this list of seven different grace gifts that are representative of the spiritual gifts that he gives into the church. There are more than seven. This is not an exhaustive list. But he's saying, use what God has invested in you to serve like Jesus. Follow his example. Invest your life in his kingdom because he has gifted you for a God-sized purpose. He has given you the spiritual resources, the aptitudes, the gifts, the power, and things that you don't even know that you have yet to make a huge difference here and now, to proclaim his gospel, the good news of who he is, to provide hope and life to people who are hurting and broken, to encourage, to build up, to teach. God has gifted each and every one of us. And he says, use what he's given you for God's glory. That's one of the ways that you put your life back into his hands as a living sacrifice. God has gifted you for a purpose, and he wants you to use his gifts to serve like Jesus Christ. That's the first step. And it, and it requires us to step out of our comfort zone. You may not know what your gifts are. Let me just encourage you. Um, we can help you find resources where you can, you can take different tests that'll help you identify spiritual gifts, and those are helpful. But the best way I know to do it is just to start serving. And if it's not a good fit, it'll become evident pretty quickly. And we'll help you find someplace else. But begin to be involved, to connect, start to serve. And God will bless and honor that. And it'll take your mind, which is compelled to think about yourself, and you'll begin to to change what happens. That brings us to the T, which is this. Think about others' needs. He says in verses 9 and 10, let love be genuine. When love is genuine, I'm not asking you about you so that you'll think good about me. I'm asking you about you because I care about you, because you matter, because there's an authentic love for you, an interest in you. I want to hear about what God is doing in your heart and life. I want to hear about the struggles, the challenges that you're facing. I want to be like Jesus to you so that he can use me to bless your life. Let love be genuine. And then he says, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Let there be discernment within our hearts and lives about what is good, what is honoring to the Lord, what will build others up. And he says, love one another with brotherly affection. And it's interesting, when you look at this in the original language, this is the first time in the context of the church 
that the word agape, which is in Greek, which means the divine love, the self-sacrificing love, it's the first time it is used about the church and about love that we have for others. Prior to this point, every other time that it appears, it talks about the love of God. So when he says, let love be genuine, what he's saying is, I want you to love others the way I love you, unconditionally. That's the genuineness of love. And that means we need to be thinking about their needs, where they're coming from, what they're going through. And when we begin to think about their needs, guess what? I'm not thinking about me. Isn't that cool? I'm down to 99.94. Sweet. Think, I'm sorry. Here's, here's how Bonhoeffer puts it. I better hurry up here. He talks about Christian community and he, and he, and he says this. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal intention may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands and set up by their own law and judge one another and God according. It is not we who build, but Christ who builds the church. And he concludes it this way. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. That's what we're to do, is to love like Christ. We don't come with our expectations of what others should do for us. We've given our life, we placed it back in God's hands as a living sacrifice, and we say, Lord, would you use me to love others so that your church is built, so that others receive hope and encouragement and blessing. Use me to bless them. Then we're to outdo one another in showing honor. That's what he says in verse 10. And I love that because here it is, folks. Here is the one place there's supposed to be competition in the church. All right? Now, I've been in a lot of churches, some really, really amazing, amazing churches. But the one common thing I've seen is that when there is competition, it is ugly. There is division and separation. But God designed one kind of competition to be part of the body of Christ, and that is to outdo one another in showing honor to others, in believing in them, believing that the Spirit of God who is working in me is working in them and that God is going to use them to do amazing things. And therefore, I want to honor their life and invest in their life and build up their life because he calls us to outdo one another in showing honor. How cool is that? If we can help others discover that they have a unique, beautiful purpose in Christ and help them live that out, we're successful. I want you to think for a moment about the individuals that God has used to influence your life. People that maybe it was through a message, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was um, a Sunday school teacher, maybe it was a parent, 
brother or sister or a friend. Think about how they influenced you. You see, oftentimes we look at our life like these different parts of a puzzle piece and we think, I don't really fit and God can't use me. And we see aspects of our life like this little piece that sticks out and, and, and we think, this is my inadequacy. This is part of what makes me different than everyone else and, and I don't like it. How could God ever use that? I want to tell you about one of the people who had the greatest impact on my life from the time I was very, very young. His name was David. David's two months older than me. And David never became a minister or preacher or teacher. Um, but David's impact on my life was far greater. David was born without any arms and legs. He had a birth defect. And from the time I was an infant, we would spend time together when our moms got together. And, and he taught me to see how God could use anyone and use them in miraculous, amazing ways. He taught me to see past the surface of what others saw as a handicap and to see an inspiration of a life that was unimaginable. Because not only did David have his physical limitations because he had no arms or legs, he lost his father because his father was convinced that he could not father an imperfect child, and so he left him. So he was scarred by abandonment. But God worked through David's life to change me to make an impact on my heart and life. Now, I wish I could show you more of David's story. The truth is, as we got older, we both moved away into different places and we lost contact. And I don't know the end of his story. But a friend of mine shared with me a, a little clip of, a, of another person who physically is similar to David, Nick Vajinik, uh, who has an incredible impact and I want to show you just this clip because I want it to be a reminder to you and I that God can use our weaknesses to proclaim his greatness. Let's play that clip. I was born in Melbourne, Australia, 1982, and my parents had no idea that I was going to be born without arms or legs. I was the only one that I ever saw without limbs. My faith in Jesus Christ was sealed after seven years of wondering why, God, I was born this way. Uh, he answered me very clearly through John chapter 9. And I gave my life to Jesus at 15 after reading about how he came across a man who was born blind. And I'm like, hey, hold on a second. This looks interesting. <laughs> and no one knew why he was born that way. I'm like, perfect. So I read on and in verse three of the ninth chapter, Jesus said, it was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. And I'm like, wow, God, if you had a plan for the blind man, you do have a plan for me. And that was the beginning of my personal relationship with Jesus. 
Youth groups were starting to call me. Churches were starting to call me. Opportunities were opening up everywhere for me to share my testimony. I was speaking in front of 300 sophomore public high school students. Three minutes into it, half the girls were crying. One girl in the middle of the room started weeping. She put up her hand and she said, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but can I come up there and give you a hug? In front of everyone, she came and she hugged me. She cried on my shoulder and whispered in my ear, no one's ever told me that they love me. No one's ever told me that I'm beautiful the way that I am. I couldn't believe it, it changed my life. At that moment, I knew God was ministering to her through me. It's not by my speech or my power, it was God. And my heart was ignited with a passion. And it was an awesome day to see one soul transformed forever. God wants to use you. He'll use your weaknesses, the things that you think disqualify you, maybe the very thing he wants to use most vibrantly to give hope to another. He does that when we place our life back in his hands. We remember who he is. We stop thinking about ourselves and begin to serve like Jesus. We begin to think about others' needs. We begin to outdo one another in showing honor. And finally, it says rejoice in hope. We have a life of praise. See, Nick was able to begin to thank God that he was born the way he was. He was able to praise him because he saw how it could be used for God's glory and greatness. The same is true about you and I. Let me encourage you. Trust God. Trust that he made you who you are for a purpose. He's given you the experiences that you've gone through, the challenges, the difficulties, the joys, because he has a way he wants to use your life that is unique, just as each and every piece of a puzzle is unique, but it is incredibly beautiful because it is part of his masterpiece. Will you trust him with your life, with all that you are, and all that you'll ever be. He simply says, put your life back in his hands. Trust Jesus for salvation. Trust Jesus as the Lord of your life. After our next song, we'll have intercessors over here underneath the windows. If there's something, a need in your life, maybe you have questions about what it means to have a relationship with God, maybe there's just a burden that you want to share. They'll be available to pray with you, encourage you, and to help you. Also in the foyer, today's a day to find out some ways to begin to serve like Jesus and to get connected into a small group because we need community. Don't be isolated. It's dangerous. My encouragement to you is will you trust him with all that you are and place yourself back in his hands? Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith, give us the grace to place all that we are back in your hands. And then, Lord, would you do something 
wonderful for your honor and your glory. Lord, would you bring, bring us together as the body of Christ here in Prague, together with our fellow believers and, and, and sister churches, Lord, and would you pour out your Holy Spirit and would you begin to bring revival to this city. Lord, those living in darkness need to see the light of who you are. They need to hear the words that someone truly loves them for who they are and that someone is Jesus Christ. So much so he gave everything for them. Lord, let that become a burning passion of each of our hearts. You have entrusted to each of us a treasure beyond measurement in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to now live our life fully for you, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his honor.